Well, it is the last morning call of the year and the Bank of Japan actually making news for once with a change to its yield controls and it's had quite an impact on bond markets today. And then the RBA, the minute showed that they did discuss pausing rates. So does that mean that they are more likely to do it next time? And then business confidence in New Zealand is not looking at all good. So not a quiet end to the year after all. And not a good year for risk parity strategies. What? We'll talk about that too. It's Wednesday, the 21st of December, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar is down quite a bit. It's losing 0.7% on the DXY. A lot of that comes from a sharp move up in the Japanese yen, up 3.8%, drifting a bit lower as the session progresses. So it was quite a bit more than that earlier. The euro is also up a little, very little actually, whereas the pound is up a quarter percent. But the Aussie has fallen a third of 1%, down to 66.8 US cents. And big moves in bond yields, 10 years, up 15 basis points in Japan, up 20 basis points in Australia yesterday, and up 10 in Germany and most of Europe and 11 basis points up for 10-year treasuries in the United States. The US share market, meanwhile, has come back a little, only just uh, for the NASDAQ, uh, almost 0.1% for the S&P 500 and 0.3% for the Dow. Whilst in Europe, the movement is generally downwards, a quarter percent off the Eurostox 50 and 0.4% dropping the DAX. And oil, well, it was down earlier, but it switched as the session's gone on. WTI is now up 1.2%. Brent, close to where it was yesterday, just under $80 a barrel. And the big news today is coming out of Japan. Here's NAB's Ray Atrell to talk about it. Uh, and um, so we it, uh, no move. Uh, that's the interesting thing uh, on their on their interest rates. Uh, this is all to do with changing their yield curve control policy. So they're in effect loosening it, aren't they? They're making it a less tight range. And the markets have gone crazy to this. They have Why? indeed. Morning, Phil. So, yes, when is an interest rate rise not an interest rate rise? Well, if you went back to September and October, when the speculation was rife that the Bank of Japan might do exactly what it has done overnight, which is effectively to say that we're still targeting 10-year JGB yields at zero. Um, but whereas previously there was a, a sort of a tolerance band around that zero percent target of plus or minus a quarter percent, we've we've lift, we've um, widened that tolerance band from a quarter percent to a half a percent. Um, and the reason that it stunned markets is that, in a, say, back in September, October, uh, we were actually forecasting that this would happen at the October meeting. Um, and the Bank of Japan governor, Mr. Kuroda, told anybody who wanted to listen that um, that was not under consideration because it would amount to an interest rate rise. And I watched his press conference about five o'clock last night where he said, this move does not amount to an interest rate rise. So um, go figure. And uh, anyway, the Bank of Japan... So why, has- why are they doing it? What's the, what's the reasoning behind it? Are they panicking about the yen? It's because I mean, that, that's perhaps... A bit, I mean, we've seen movements in bonds, but we've also seen this yeah, big move yeah. in the yen as well. I today. mean, the justification for this is that uh, effectively they're saying, effectively, it's, it's a technical adjustment relating to market functioning. Because if you look at the whole uh, shape of the Japanese yield curve, you've got this kink or this big indentation in yields, um, you know, mm. where effectively nine-year yields are above 10-year yields, if you like, and 11-year yields are well above 10-year yields. So, um, you know, you've got this sort of artificial depression in the yield curve around 10 years. Um, you know, and so effectively, they said, look, we're just ironing that out, effectively. But, um, um, you know, but I, in terms of, you know, is it a rate rise or not? I think what it's done is given a lot of sucker to the view that was it uh, articulated in the Japanese press at the weekend, 
that the government was considering a sort of a tweak to the Bank of Japan's policy remit next year that would give it more flexibility in pursuing the 2% inflation target. And to your question about the yen, yes, I think it uh, it also you know signifies that um, you know the policy of, of encouragement or toleration of yen weakness. Um, has pretty much come to an end. And, you know, if that was one of the objectives of yesterday's move, then it's it's job done, considering that we've had a, you know, a four and a quarter percent move in the dollar yen rate downwards. And, and look at the Aussie yen and the Kiwi yen crosses. Um, and they're both off five percent from where we were prior to the announcement. Yeah. OK, so I want to talk about why, because it looks like uh, the Aussie yields and also the Aussie dollar um, have, have moved as well. Is that because of this or is it because of the, the you know, the other news this morning, which is the the RBA meeting minutes from yesterday? But um, just finishing off on Japan, is, is, is this also to do with the fact that they own so many government bonds? I mean, presumably they'll want to get that down. I, I read today that when Governor Kuroda came on board, it was a while ago now, uh, they owned 11.5% of the of the, bond, the Japanese bond market. Now they've got more than half of it in the Bank of Japan. Well, that's right. And as you were talking to uh, Rodrigo uh, about yesterday, that you know the problem that they've got is that um, – you know, that, that A, they own so many bonds, but if interest rates are allowed to rise, you know, above a sort of a trivial amount, then the implications of that for government funding going forward are, are really quite dramatic in terms of sort of what it means for the underlying fiscal position at a, pan, at a time when, um, you know, the Japanese government is, is, is thinking of significant tax rises to fund uh, an increase in defence spending, for example. Um, but if they're still going to be, you know, if just the, the cost of, of financing the existing stock of debt is going to go up, then, you know, technically, you know, the Bank of Japan is going to be um, technically insolvent because the value of the JGBs that it holds, as you say, almost 50% of the total, are going to, to weaken dramatically so that the mark to market implications of that are profound not that central banks you know in most countries actually do go bankrupt but uh, but the ongoing cost for the government of, of funding debt by say issuing 10-year JGBs that are at one percent versus zero percent will have uh, very very profound implications okay final question final question on this then the fact that it came as so much of a surprise to to everybody we've get the we've got the inflation numbers coming out in in just a few days time for Japan. So is the do they know something? Are they, are they saying, well, okay, maybe this is a way we can uh, just sort of pr- proactively respond to that before it's publicly known? No, I don't. No, I don't think so. Because again, listening to Mr. Kuroda last night, he's still well. He's insistent that this is not a policy change. Mm. Um, hence, he gets my award for the most unpredictable central banker of twenty twenty two. But they're still making clear that the the, the, the key precondition for believing that inflation is, is, you know, it's already above 2%, but can remain there on a sustainable basis, um, is next year's wage rounds. And we get the, um, you know, the uh, the Shunto, which is for large firms, and what's known as Rengo, which are the sort of union negotiations on behalf of small and medium-sized medium companies, you know, won't take place until sort of March through July next year. Um, and they still want to see, you know, wage increases that are deemed consistent with uh, changing policy. So as far as a formal policy change in terms of changing the YCC target from 0% or moving off the negative or the 0.1, minus 0.1% policy target, I think that's still post those negotiations, probably post the end of Mr. Kuroda's uh, tenure. Um, so it still makes it more likely to happen 
probably not before Q3 next year. So, um, mm. so I don't think the upcoming inflation figures are, you know, uh, I don't think we should read anything into the proximity right. to the next set of if you missed, numbers. If you missed Governor Kuroda's speech, uh, he's, uh, he is talking uh, on Boxing Day, actually, about 11 o'clock in the morning. So that could get you out of lunch with the, with the in-laws. Uh, well, interestingly, on that, somebody made the quip that uh, yesterday's announcement was almost as surprising as the Bank of Japan's uh, rate change that happened on Christmas Day, I think, in <laughs> 1988 or 1989. Right. I'm going to have to go back through the memory banks to work out exactly uh, well, there what we are. the data Do you know what? I think just now, we've in this last episode of the year, I think we've spoken more about the Bank of Japan than we have totally uh, over the year. But look, why the response then uh, globally in, in all of this, and then also particularly for Australia? So is it is Australia, the yield movement that we're seeing in Europe and, and America, how much of that is, is, is the blowover from, uh, from the Bank of Japan? Japan? Are people all of a sudden starting to trade differently with Japan? Well, I think it's, um, you know, it is a surprise, but if, you know, talking to our bond traders in recent weeks or, you know, the last couple of months when there was speculation that they would do exactly what they've done today, which has allowed JGB yields to rise, as you say, 20 basis points, is that, you know, in a world of, of rising interest rates and rising bond yields, you know, the Bank of Japan's sort of resolute commitment to the sort of zero uh, rate policy at 10 years has been something of a dragging anchor I think on bond yields mm. globally now you wouldn't notice it given how much bond yields have risen this year uh, but I think the view was that you know were it not for the Bank of Japan still effectively anchoring rates at zero and what that's meant in terms of Japanese investor demand for high yielding bonds elsewhere it has had something of a depressing impact on bond yields compared to what otherwise might be the case so you know the fact that they've sort of released that pressure valve, um, you know, that's why I think we've had those spillover effects to, to other uh, bond yields with what 10 year, 10 year treasuries up just over 10 basis points. I think bonds are up 11 and a half basis points. And as you say, uh, Australian bonds are up 25 or 20 basis points, although they were under a little bit of pressure yeah. anyway. Um, which I guess is a segue to talking about about the minutes, minutes. yeah, the yeah, RBA's because board meeting and that that would yeah, I mean that was big news as well, wasn't it for our last day of the year? So there wasn't total agreement on twenty five basis points, which is the rise we eventually saw. They uh, they were worried in central bank language uh, to the bank's reaction function. Uh, I read so so basically they they're split as to what they should be doing, and they, and if that's the case. Then does that mean, because they obviously considered the idea of a pause, so does that mean that, well, maybe they will next time, for example, which, you know, which we've been talking about not happening for the next couple of meetings at least? Yeah, no, that's right. I think I wouldn't say that the board was necessarily split, but it was the fact that the minutes revealed that the whole range of options from zero to 25, which is obviously what they settled on, We're to discussed. 50 basis points yeah. was under consideration. Yeah. So I, I guess you'd yeah. say that the, the knee-jerk sort of small-scale sell-off that we saw in, say, three-year and 10-year bond, more so three years than 10 years yesterday, was was because of the revelation that 50 basis points was on the table. Um, but our interpretation is a little different to that. So the fact that a pause was actually considered, um, I think, plays to, to the view, which is actually the consensus view and the NAB view, that you know within one or two more 25 basis point rate rises, which we do expect in, in February, March next year, um, you know, the, the, the RBA might consider that it is time for a pause. And if we do get say, another 50 basis points in Q1 next year, that is going to take, um, you know, debt servicing costs for, for Australian households back up to the to the peaks that we saw previously around 2008. So it does seem to be a 
to us to be, you know, a potential stopping off point, not necessarily the terminal rate. That will be very data dependent as we go through the year. So, yeah. um, you know, so in that sense, we actually saw that all the minutes as, um, I wouldn't say dovish as such, but, um, you know, the, the, the very fact that 50 basis points was on the table, I, I, you know, I don't think, you know, justified a sort of a sell-off and any belief that they could do 50 when they come back after Christmas, for example. And there was an acknowledgement as well, wasn't there, that inflation might have peaked in certain parts of the world, looking around the world. That was, you know, that added some um, sustenance, perhaps, to the argument that they will pause at some point to see what happens next. But uh, No, absolutely. So, I mean, we'll wait to see. I mean, because of this, you know, obviously the RBA was pretty dismissive of the month, the new monthly series, because they only cover, what, about 60% of the CPI. Um, you know, and I was just looking across, you know, the, the, the 10 sort of major central banks who've raised rates this year, uh, and the two that stand out that haven't yet seen a peak in inflation, uh, or should I say the latest CPI numbers aren't lower than the previous ones, is actually Australia at 7.3 and Sweden at 11.5%. So, um, you know, yeah. I think that the Q4 numbers that we're going to get at the end of January are going to be pretty important there. But the, but the likelihood is that, um, you know, if, we are, if, we, if we're close to a peak, we're not going to see that peak before um, early next year when we get those Q4 numbers. So who would have thought? I mean, at the beginning of this year, we did know that inflation was climbing, didn't we? We didn't know there was going to be a war, but we also didn't know quite uh, how New Zealand was going to react getting in there first. I wonder if the central bank there would look at things a bit differently if they knew uh, how they were going to finish the year. Uh, high inflation, high interest rates. Mm -hmm. We saw yesterday business confidence at the lowest level since the uh, ANZ survey started in the late 80s, minus 70.2 is the score. Now, normally, you know, we'd say, let's look under the hood because there's going to be something positive in there, but it doesn't seem like there is this with this one. No, it doesn't there? seem to be. And uh, as our BNZ colleagues, uh, their, their quip when the numbers came out was, it doesn't get much worse than this. Um, you know, we've already surpassed mm. the GFC lows. And, um, you know, the, the view is that, um, you know, recession is, is, you know, we talk about the UK probably being the economy that is, is you know, is, is where recession is, is, is imminent and seems most inevitable. But, you know, looking at the numbers and bearing in mind that probably more than half of um, households with mortgages in uh, New Zealand haven't yet felt, uh, you know, a single a single basis point of rate rises yet because something like 80% of New Zealand mortgages are fixed oh, rates, fixed. then the sticker shock mm, mm. to come next year. You know, we think banks are sort of a, a recession in the cake and, and these survey numbers uh, do nothing to allay those concerns, certainly. And uh, going back to the RBNZ, I was just having a quick glance at, um, you know, what central banks have done. And as you rightly say, um, RBNZ was actually the first cab off the rank back in June 2021 in raising rates, followed by Norway. Uh, they're the only two central banks that actually, you know, started the process last year as opposed to this year. But the average um, you know, the average rate rise, you know, from the sort of, um, well, over the course of this year has been 300 basis points with uh, with the Fed at the top of the tree with four and a quarter percent. And, and the RBNZ not too far behind at four percent joined by the Bank of Canada and the RBA. 300 basis points is bang in line with uh, with the average. So, um, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Average was the uh, how I'd characterise the RBA, certainly relative to other central banks this year. Right. Good. Well, there we are. And look, uh, consumer confidence numbers, isn't it, really? That's the focus today. So because uh, that was the business confidence number for New Zealand, we get their consumer confidence numbers today. Also get the balance of trade numbers for New Zealand. And from the United States consumer confidence as well, we get the conference board uh 
where, uh, well, I mean, they are a lot more confident uh, in the United States, aren't they? But maybe that'll change because we're starting to see the share market being hit and we are seeing the housing market being hit. We saw falling construction and housing permits overnight as well. So maybe that uh, that, that consumer confidence is going to start dipping further in the United States as well. Yeah, no, I think the key there, I mean, that, that conference board number has been, um, you know, much, much higher than the University of Michigan's one. Um but still at r- relatively low levels. And uh, but the, obviously the basic message this year has just been watch what the US consumer does, not what they say. So depressed levels of consumer confidence haven't been reflected in, in weak consumer spending. Uh, and that was evident in the most recent GDP numbers. But whether that continues to be the case uh, next year is obviously one of the one of the big questions, along with, you know, are we going to see inflation coming down or not? And is market optimism about, you know, the Fed potentially leading, um, you know, a rate cutting cycle in the second half of, of next year, is that misplaced or not? Is going to be absolutely key, and particularly for for risk assets. And you say on the stock market, just looking at the uh, at yes. the leaderboard, the Nasdaq- risk parity strategies. We were just talking about what, that. What's happened to that <laughs> risk parity strategy? Which um, you know, for the uninitiated, is sort of the idea that effectively, you know, you have sort of maybe fifty or a fifty fifty strategy. Says I have fifty percent of my portfolio in defensive assets like government bonds, and fifty percent in risk yeah. assets. Like equities, uh, and when the equity market that works out, by um, you know, I make money on my bonds. Well, those risk parity strategies mm. have, have, have blown up with with alacrity this year, haven't they? Looking at the Bloomberg's uh, risk parity strategy, that's fifty percent um, U.S. large caps and fifty percent fixed income. Um, it's returned at minus eighteen percent this year. Now, arguably, wow. the Nasdaq is only is off thirty two percent, and it's the worst performing major yeah. stock market. So maybe there's a little bit defensive there. But I think the key is you know maybe. If bond yields are close to a peak, you know risk parity strategies will uh, will, will come back into vogue. But um, you know they've clearly had uh, you know one of the biggest bloody noses as far as uh, you know portfolio strategies are concerned. That uh, I think anybody in markets can ever remember. Well, look, we are back on Wednesday, the eleventh of January. If uh, if you need me in the meantime, I'll be uh, sipping coffee in Manly somewhere for at least half of that time between then, then and now, or jumping in the waves or whatever. But uh, thanks for your time this year, Ray. And we'll catch you in the catch you in the new year. Well, there and thanks everybody for for listening this year and and yeah, Phil, uh, yeah, safe travels and uh, look forward to catching up in in, in person over the next. Okay, couple of weeks. We'll look forward to it. Then it's, and that's it. That is the morning call for this year. I'm Phil Dobby. Back again next year. Thanks for listening.